the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, indeed, and a pleasant good afternoon to you. Hey, welcome. Great to have you with us. It is a Wednesday, the third day of October. If you weren't on top of that information, rely on me to keep you <laughs> to keep you in the know as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. We are, of course, here every Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m. addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. And we're going to do more of the same today. Spend some time in fellowship, some time iron, sharpening iron, as the Word says, as uh, we open the Word and get a chance to visit with a member of the KFAX programming family. If you listen to this program with regularity, and we certainly hope that you do, and stay right through the 7 o'clock hour, perhaps you've had a chance to enjoy Grace to Live, the new radio program, been on the air a couple of weeks here on KFAX, that is hosted by our guest in the first hour tonight. He is the senior pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, Dr. Keith Crosby, though your your resume on the website, Pastor, says you're no one of consequence. So can I, with 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 due respect, drop the doctor and just call sure, you Pastor? Absolutely, Craig. <laughs> Happy to. It's privileged to be here. And call me whatever you want to. I'm good. <laughs> just don't call me late for dinner. There you right? go. There you well, go. great to have you uh, with us, and uh, gee, good to see you again. As great to be listeners here. know, you were with us as part of our pastors panel uh, just a week ago at the Well Christian Community Church over in Livermore, and it was a privilege to have you. Uh, join us to engage in that dialogue and to come back and visit tonight and kind of get caught up in what God is doing in your part of the world in San Jose and talk a bit, too, about the radio broadcast. Let's lead off with that. Grace to Live. Now, I know I know, probably John MacArthur thought, hmm, do we have a lawsuit here? Grace to you, Grace to Live? Well, maybe not. No. <laughs> uh, great title. And the show, of course, is aired Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. here on KFAX. And uh, longer time listeners uh, hopefully are familiar with your pulpit ministry from the Sunday morning program at 10 a.m. So yes. great to have you expanding to Monday through Friday. Well, we couldn't be more thrilled. We're just thrilled. It's an opportunity to extend the pulpit and to extend the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're thrilled to be doing that. Do you see this as sort of tearing down the walls in a sense? And by that I mean um, a lot of effort goes into uh, studying, preparing for a sermon, and and reaching those that are inside the congregation, inside the four walls of the church. But can radio in this sense and opening up to radio ministry for Hillside in a sense sort of tear down those walls and extend the reach of what the church does, what your pulpit ministry does? We believe so. A surprising number of non-believers listen to Christian radio. And so this is an opportunity not just to encourage the believers in the Bay Area, but to maybe encourage and evangelize and challenge the unbelievers as well. It's an interesting observation because we've we've found, and we hear from people, email and correspond and what have you, that percentile of non-believers or even folks that are believers perhaps, but for some reason are feeling disenfranchised. Maybe they've had a negative experience Mm -hmm. with the church. They've been hurt 
They don't know how to quite deal with the institution of the church, but there is nevertheless that longing to want to be in relationship with God, to study God's Word, to go deeper. And so sometimes radio can be a great less intimidating gateway through which they can kind of begin to step back into church life, so to speak, without the fear of, gee, if I walk into church on Sunday, I'm going to feel uncomfortable. This is kind of not my thing. Do you think that's true? I do. In fact, I've I've met people who have visited our church who the radio broadcast was sort of an on-ramp back to church. They've been out for a while. Just like you said, they were sort of intimidated, and it sort of just eased them back in. I think sometimes perhaps we as as Christians, too, uh, uh, unwittingly may be contributory to sort of driving people away. We have either an attitude about us or a a political swagger Mm -hmm. that can sometimes, I think, be off-putting. And maybe the lesson here for believers in general is to not overly get caught up in the political showmanship. I mean, it's easy to kind of get, I think, particularly these days, pulled into that vortex. And yet we really really do need to differentiate between uh, our our political life and who we are in terms of our relationship with the Lord, and ultimately that our identity shouldn't be in whether or not we're Republican, Democrat, Independent, whether or not we're black, white, purple, green, or orange, but really in who our identity is in our relationship with Christ. That is a great point, Craig. You know, we don't want to muddy the waters. Sometimes you're the only Jesus somebody's going to meet. You're the only Christian they're going to see, and you don't want to put a stumbling block in front of them. And I'm afraid all too often, whether it's on social media or just standing in the, in the, in the workplace by the, by the water cooler, we put people off by majoring on the majors instead of uh, minors, excuse me, instead of majoring on the majors. And the gospel is the major issue. That's why we're here. It's amazing, and I've, I've commented with this, made this observation with some frequency down through the years that on occasion I have met people who have said, well, no, I'm I'm not a Christian, and you kind of dive in and begin to realize that they're not a Christian because of one of two reasons, either because they've never really met a Christian, mm-hmm. so they've not been fully exposed to the gospel, or because they have met a Christian, <laughs> yeah, and they yeah. have been exposed to an entirely different gospel that really and truly is not representative of, of the character of Christ. You know, Chuck Swindoll once said, there's no one nastier than a mean Christian, that mm-hmm. sometimes people who name the name of Christ are actually more offensive than people who don't know him at all. And that's a, that's a shame. Do you think it's problematic? Um, and, and I've heard this said, too. Sometimes non-believers are better at knowing what Christians can and can't do or should and shouldn't do than even Christians themselves. Do you think it's problematic when there is a percentile of people in America today that um, know everything that the church is against? We're against abortion. We're against gay marriage. We're against uh, abuse of welfare. I mean, the uh, the list goes on ad nauseum. They can cite everything that we're contrarian about, but they know nothing about what we stand for. Is that problematic? It is problematic to the nth degree. That that is the that is probably the biggest challenge facing the church today. I I warn people sometimes in my congregation that we are we talk about a surveillance culture. You know, whether the NSA is trapping our emails or whatever. Christians have always been in a surveillance culture. The world is looking at us and looking to us. And when, we, when they know what we're against, but they, they don't know who we are or what we stand for, we've done them and Jesus Christ a disservice. It is a huge disservice, isn't it? Because it can stand as a huge barrier. For sure. Let's talk a bit about the, the notion of 
who we are as Christians and what that that sphere of influence should be like. Um, you talk about on the website for the radio ministry, which, by the way, for listeners, if you want to check it out, it's grace, uh, get my glasses on, grace to live radio.org. That's grace to live radio.org. Um, but, but you talk about this notion of impacting, not just having the, the, the local mentality of, of impact, but a global mentality as well. What do you mean by that? Christianity is sort of like a a happy virus. You know, we talk in the Bible about the uh, a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. We can have a chain reaction effect that starts in our own backyard and radiates out worldwide. We talk a lot about changing the world one soul at a time. You never know who the person that you may be instrumental leading to Christ, what impact he or she is going to have and what impact the person they lead to Christ is going to have. And it really goes from Jerusalem, Judea, the Samaria to the whole world, or from San Jose to the greater Bay Area to California to the whole world. And we just are part of a larger movement, and we need to always keep that in the forefront of our minds. We think of the great evangelist Billy Graham, who recently passed away. Mm-hmm. I have to sometimes wonder what the individual or individuals that touched his life that were instrumental in seed planting and watering ultimately unto God for the harvest, but were instrumental in testifying to him, reaching him for the Lord, and eventually Billy Graham coming to Christ and going on to, I think, probably aside from Jesus himself, having reached more people in history than than certainly anyone that that we know of in, in, in recorded history, and and what you would think about something like that. Well, you know, it's an incredible concept. You know, we're told to lay up treasure in heaven. And like you say, let's say the, the indiv- individual who was instrumental in his salvation, what a heritage he has, wow. what, a, what a progeny he has in the spiritual realm. And the people who have come to Christ through the person who led him or her or him, it's a, chain re- it's a, it's a glorious chain reaction. Should we therefore then never underestimate not only our realm of influence, but never underestimate that the person that we pause for a moment, and I think it has to be intentional. Um, you, you, you can certainly accidentally uh, plant seeds, but I think if you're intentional about it, should we be careful never to underestimate the sphere of influence that, you know, it may not seem like a lot to give the kind word to the kid that's the barista at Starbucks in the morning or the guy that, uh, you know, uh, helps change your tires when you get the car serviced, that what we say to that individual or how we how we represent Christ to that individual and the potential impact that that could be that even, even I mean, everybody wants to reach the governor for Jesus, right? Of course. But not recognizing perhaps that even the lowest of the low, the least of these, so to speak, could be the next Billy Graham. You just never know. I'm reminded that God does incredible things through common everyday people like us, and we need not underestimate his power to use me or you or anybody else to bring people to Christ. That we, People that we're not even looking at, they might overhear a conversation between you and I at a restaurant, and we just think that we're two friends having a conversation, and this person walks away heaven-bound, when we don't even know about it. They've made a decision in their heart. 
I want to take this thought a little bit deeper because I think that leads us ideally to the the deeper and broader question of our understanding of exactly what salvation is, and in particular, and this ties into uh, the name of your program, the sense of grace and what what grace means. Not not the cheap, easy stuff, right? But but the difficult stuff. The hard work, so to speak, certainly specifically the work that took place on the cross Mm. that made grace available. And I think if we begin to realize, you know, it's one thing to say, well, certainly God wants to reach the governor or, you know, an individual of, of, of influence and power because of their sphere of influence. But then when you begin to realize that Christ died with the same degree of of pain and suffering and intensity for everyone, no Absolutely. respecter. The scripture says that the salvation is no respecter of persons. And so in, in that regard, to begin to kind of glimpse how great a salvation this really is, I, I think maybe will help us better understand just what we have, this treasure that we have, and how we really should be motivated to share it. We're going to pick up that aspect of the conversation. We come back after a brief time out. If you've just joined us, we have with us today in studio the lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose and speaker on Grace to Live Radio, heard Monday through Fridays at 7 p.m., as well as a Sunday morning broadcast at 10 a.m. right here on KFAX. Back to more of our conversation with Pastor Keith Crosby as Lifeline continues. 518 on the clock. We're going to step aside, get you updated on traffic. Michael Bennett's got the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael, what's going on out there? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to the conversation. In studio with us today, the lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose and speaker on Grace to Live Radio, heard Monday through Fridays at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. We've got Pastor Keith Crosby with us. We've been talking a bit about um, ministry and um, the notion of not only reaching locally but globally. And then I want to come back to the motivation behind all of that and, and that, that, that broader topic that hits close to home for all of us. And that is what greater salvation we all have experienced and yet oftentimes the incapacity to fully comprehend that. I know I don't fully comprehend it. It is inconceivable to me, that's for sure. And, and yet, even in the, the wonder of it, even in the degree to which we run to the, out to the limitations of our, the capacity of our minds to intellectually understand it all, um, there are degrees of which our heart can understand it as our spirit is in communication or communion with the very spirit of God and to begin to grasp, wow, the creator of the universe loves me so much that while I was yet a sinner, he purposefully sent his son to die a very cruel, bitter death, paid a huge price, suffered greatly for my sake, that through that sacrifice, I might have my sins be forgiven and be reconciled unto God and to have a relationship with God himself. That's incomprehensible. It is incomprehensible. I'm reminded that, you know, when I was a new believer, somebody told me that grace was like an acronym that stood for God's riches at Christ's expense. We talk about grace being free. It was certainly free to us, but like you talked about, the unspeakable agonies of the cross, it was certainly not free to God or his son. It's just inconceivable. 
Would it do the church and, and believers in specific well to spend more time studying this and understanding this? And I understand that this is the this is the difficult part of the gospel. This is the part of the gospel that's not flashy and fancy. We like to think of the gospel in terms of God's love for us that leads to his abundant blessings that's going to put us in good health, good financial stead. We're going to be happy. We're going to be full of the joy of the Holy Spirit. We'll experience peace. All of those wonderful adjectives and adverbs that make us get all fuzzy and excited. And I guess from a Madison Avenue marketing standpoint, that's all the good stuff that you want to be above the fold, so to speak. That's the headline story. The part, though, that seemingly we are ever increasingly shying away from, at least in my opinion, is the side of the story that's dirty and dark and bloody and painful. And that is Christ on that tree, the blood that was shed. And I guess you really can't have the joy of all the positive stuff unless you have the pain of the suffering that took place on our behalf. The two really go hand in hand, don't they? Well, the wages of sin is death. And, you know, God is very loving, but he's also perfectly just. And we talked about this before where Jesus was full of grace and truth. And the truth is we don't deserve our salvation. We, we are perpetrators, insurgents, really occupying real estate that God created. And there is a penalty. There is a consequence for our sin. And so we being unable to pay that debt, it's like being underwater in your spiritual mortgage, so to speak. Somebody had to come in and bail us out. Mm-hmm. And Jesus Christ dove deep on, in, on, into planet Earth, taking the form of a man and was a bee at the point of death, death on the cross. The message of salvation seems to be so fundamental, so so basic to the Christian faith. It's almost as if uh, it's, you know, uh, going to school in the first grade and you learn your ABCs. By the time you're at college and university, nobody's saying, okay, A, B, C, D, E. We're not reciting that anymore. We kind of have it down pat. And yet we recognize that everything we do is the building blocks of those fundamentals that we learned so long ago. We were barely capable of writing, and yet we were learning our ABCs that comprised the alphabet that built words that allowed us to communicate, write a thesis, and, and, and be able to live out life. But Apart from those fundamentals, nothing that follows could ever happen. It would be of no account. I wonder if that's true, too, of salvation, and would it serve the church well for us to be mindful of that, to every now and again say, wow, I'm bought with a price. Grace is not free. It's very costly. might be free to me, but it was very costly to God. Well, you know, I think we do God a disservice, and we really don't honor Christ when we forget when we forget how costly grace was, if, if somebody pushed us out of the way of an oncoming pickup truck and they were struck, we would always want to remember them for them saving our lives. And the fact of the matter is we were, we were terrible sinners. We were selfish, self-absorbed. You know, you don't have to teach a child to lie or pull his sister's pigtails or bully somebody else that comes naturally. <laughs> and God intervened and changed us from the inside out, beginning with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That removed the debt, and that removed the separation between us and God, and we can never lose sight of that. That is a fundamental that we have to rehearse in our minds as often as we can. And that story of that redemptive process is not only that which should drive us, but I think also give us perspective in terms of 
when it comes to sharing the message or living out our faith that is demonstrative of the effect of that message, that it should be the motivating factor for us day by day. I mean, at the end of the day, if I knew, for example, if I got a message tomorrow uh, that was sent to me by email that said my next door neighbor's house was going to explode at 12.15 in the afternoon and everybody that lived in that house would perish, you can better believe I would be over at that house at 12 noon banging on the door saying, everybody get out of here. I've got a word that says you're going to perish. But the good news is I'm going to share this news with you so that you can get out and in this example, save yourself. So wouldn't we have that same sense of urgency when it comes to wanting to share the good news of the gospel with anyone whose lives we touch? You would hope that we would when you think of the fact that Christians are truly in the minority. When you walk down the street and pass somebody, the majority of the people you meet, have, all of us have a date with death, and most of the people have a date with hell. And and you know, unless we share the message, they can't hear it. And and God allows us to be employed in His kingdom work to be lifeguards, so to speak, spiritual lifeguards, rescuers, and we should do that with a sense of urgency. Could we do a better job of this? And I and I pose this question, Pastor, because research done by the likes of George Barna and others, and I think even the casual observer mm. to evangelical Christianity in specific and, and Christianity, uh, mainstream Christendom in general, could say it doesn't seem to be a sharp, point, large, impactful, influencing as it once was. Could we do a better job if we had a deeper, better understanding of the basics of salvation, if the church came back to many of those fundamental root theological precepts um, that then would perhaps not only better mold us in terms of who we are as disciples of Christ, but then as the outcome of that, be far more effective at what we do in terms of sharing our faith with others? I think, I think you're absolutely right. The church has become too broad in its efforts. We have a very simple mission to go make disciples baptize those who come to Christ and train them how to live. Because we want to say, well, people are not coming to church today and finding Christ because the church really doesn't have a very good music program. Right, right. Or if we just opened up a daycare center that would allow us to reach young families in the neighborhood, that would really that would really make the difference here. It seems as if we're oftentimes caught up on on programs and plotting and um, seminars and things of this sort in order to come up with the latest gimmick to make our ministry more effective. But I have to wonder, sans all of that, I mean, how did the first century church do this if they didn't have an Anthony Robbins seminar to go to, couldn't buy radio time, uh, couldn't go out to a printing press and have broadsides printed, or go rent the Oakland Coliseum to do a, uh, a mass evangelism? I mean, how, how did the gospel spread in the early days, absent of all the things today? Oftentimes, the, the church, in the certainly in the Western world, seems to think we can't get along without. It was a one-on-one -on -one impact. They, they lived lives that made them stand out, not blend in in the culture. They weren't, they weren't trying to market themselves. They were living lives of worship, and it made a difference, and the people around them saw them. Even in the book of Acts, when it talks about that they, had, they were greatly respected by the people around them, they lived transformed lives, and that's, that's what puts feet to the gospel. So not 
marketing Christianity but living out what it means to be a disciple. Exactly, because when you start merchandising Christianity, there's a very natural tendency to want to make it as acceptable as possible, as inoffensive as possible. And Jesus said the gospel is a sword that divides families. It's it's an offense. You know, Paul writes in Corinthians that it's the aroma of death to those who are perishing, but the sweet savor of salvation to those who are being saved. And you can't soften that. And if we're attempting to tone it down, you have to wonder then, well, what exactly, what kind of a church are we building? What kind of disciples are we making? I mean, are, are we making disciples that could that could eventually be the kind of people that would say, okay, I'm off to prison. Well, uh, you know what? Uh, here I go. And uh, if you decide to execute me for my faith, well, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Right. And, you know, that certainly is the way we saw the faith of, of the first century church lived out, but I would wonder, you know, if if most Christians could even be prepared to even imagine an experience like that, let alone seeing that as part of normative Christianity. Well, for most people today, suffering is being stuck on the freeway. And when you look at the uh, <laughs> people, Christians... People listening right yeah, now are shaking their heads yeah, in agreement. No, no offense, no offense. <laughs> but when you look, I, I remember reading history with my girls when they were growing up, and during the, you know, the gladiators or the Colosseum, the Romans were struck by the fact that the Christians died well. And there they were punishing and, and persecuting these people, and yet there were secular Roman writers who marveled at the way these, these men and women met death. Fascinating how today the emphasis is all on living well. Yeah. And and I mean that largely in the material sense, and we see a lot of this spoken of from a lot of pulpits in America today, and yet understanding what it means to have the grace to die well is something that seems to be almost a foreign concept in many cases. But it's becoming realer, more real in different parts of the world right now under the you know some of the pervading circumstances. Yeah. You know, what's always fascinated me and 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 it really caused me to, to pause, to ponder, and captured my attention is how when you travel to other countries that have significantly fewer freedoms than we do, and you meet people for whom living out their life as a Christian is a daily risk, either from ridicule of their friends, family, and neighbors, if they're living maybe in a, an Islamic country, for example, or at the face of severe prosecution from an institutional level, meaning the government. Maybe you're in a country like North Korea or Vietnam or communist China, uh, where you can be punished pretty severely for being a Christian, and certainly for proselytizing and things of this sort. And yet to notice the way these Christians, um, when they talk about their experiences of being ostracized from the family, being disowned by parents losing jobs or an apartment because the government has uh, uh, prosecuted them for evangelizing or, you know, distributing Bibles or something of that sort, that they they kind of look at this as, well, yeah, that's life. It's just part of everyday or normative Christian, Christianity. I mean, doesn't the Bible say that we will be persecuted for his name's sake? And they, they almost embrace that in a sense, and yet we look at that and say, wow, that just seems to be so foreign to the Western world, development world experience called Christianity. We have so many distractions. We live comfortable lives. And for the person, you know, when Jesus said it, sometimes it's easier for a rich man, for a, a, a camel to come through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When you realize that if you make $30,000 a year, you're in the richest 1% of the people worldwide, 
we have comfort levels that are beyond our anybody else's imagination. And so when they're living out their faith, to some degree, it's a more simple, straightforward transaction. Whereas here, I think Satan has been, you know, he uses different creative means in different parts of the world, and he's, he has us addicted to comfort. These people are glad to be saved. They're glad to be delivered. They're glad to leave religion behind and enter a true relationship with God. And we have that plus an easy life, and sometimes that easy life turns us away from God. And, and maybe some of these, these believers also have a far better perspective on eternity. It's funny, uh, listeners that were with us yesterday know that John Ortberg was on the program. We talked about his new book. It's sitting here in front of me, Eternity is Now in Session, mm-hmm. that they understand, you know, as much as, yeah, it's nice to be comfortable, drive a nice car, live in a big home, get the big salary, and so on and so forth. We're only passing through. That's right. And in fact... When we get to eternity, we're going to look back on this, and this will pass by like that. We might be on earth 70, 80, 90, 100 years if Jesus tarry, and yet the the experience overall will be like that. Maybe part of the issue here is that the church in America or in the Western world needs to get a, a better grasp on just how fleeting this is and that we shouldn't allow stuff to stand in the way of our relationship with Christ. That parable that you, you quote there, I mean, a lot of people see that as singularly the rich man, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly that can be a stumbling block. But isn't it true that that, that that eye of the needle can be present for all of us? It might not be because I'm rich that it's difficult for me to enter the kingdom of heaven, but other things get in my way, whether I covet sports and I'm just, sure. a, you know, I'm 49ers and the Raiders, and that, that's I live and die for that. Whatever it might be that stands in my way that can be that stumbling block that we need to eradicate and recognizing, hey, this is fleeting. Well, you know, it goes back to the Sermon on the I just finished preaching a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, you know, where your treasure is, your heart is, lay up treasure in heaven, not on earth. And we sometimes live, just as you've observed, as if this life is all that matters. But the fact is, like you observe, this life is short and eternity is long. And what really matters, so to speak, is the long game. And we, are, we can be very short-sighted. Mm-hmm. Funny, when you hear stories about people that are um, on their deathbed, uh, in their, their dying moments, rarely do you ever hear a report of someone saying, you know, if I just spent more time at the office. Absolutely. <laughs> never, I, I tell you what, as a pastor, I've never heard that. You no. know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely right. Pastor Keith Crosby with us today in studio, host of Grace to Live, heard Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. here on KFAX. You can set your watch in about an hour and 22 minutes. You'll get a chance to enjoy the Wednesday edition of the program. He is the lead pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose. Information, by the way, on the web at gracetoliveradio.org. There's a blog post there. There are podcasts of uh, previous programs. You can also uh, participate in supporting the program financially by going to gracetoliveradio.org. I'll mention, too, if you're new to the San Francisco Bay Area looking for a new church home and would like to explore um, the pulpit ministry and church life at Hillside Church in San Jose, you're certainly welcome to come on down and visit 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose and information available on the web at hillside.org. We'll take a time out, come back to more of our conversation with Pastor Keith Crosby as Lifeline continues. All right, we were talking about that traffic. You're stuck in it. We're late. You're late. So let's find out why. I got the latest from Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 544 on the clock, and we continue our conversation. Pastor Keith Crosby is with us today in studio, speaker on Grace to Live Radio, heard Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. There's also a Sunday morning broadcast, gets you in the right spirit, gets you in the right mood heading off to church at 10 a.m. of Grace to Live Radio. You can check them out on the web at gracetoliveradio.org. That's gracetoliveradio.org. As we mentioned, Pastor Crosby is the lead pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, and uh, it's a growing congregation, lots of exciting things going on, um, in addition to the radio ministry and, of course, the uh, the day-to-day uh, church community there. Um, you get up in the pulpit every Sunday morning, open the Word, get a new series that you've just started. It is. Um, new teaching series called Ten Rules for Life, an Antidote for Chaos. Tell me right. about that. Well, you know, there's a best-selling book, 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote for Chaos, so we're trying to sort of, you know, in a kind of a cute way, tie into that. But it takes us back, as you just talked about a moment ago, to the fundamentals. It's the Ten Commandments, basically. It's an exposition of the Ten Commandments. We take a commandment a week, so it'll be a ten-week series. And we look at it through, you know, from a contemporary application. And a lot of times people look at the Ten Commandments as don't do this, don't do that. And to one degree or another, they are prohibitions, but they're also the first commandment is make God the priority. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, second commandment is, you know, not to worship idols, accept no substitutes. And so this is the way we kind of are approaching it from, from a positive standpoint. So they're prohibitions, but they're also exhortations. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the, the commandment, thou shalt not murder, is also a way to say, hey, respect life. Exactly. And that's the name of that, that's the name of that particular sermon, respect life. And, and a lot of this, again, we touched on this earlier, the notion that, well, a lot of folks can tell you what Christians are against. They just don't understand what we're for. Mm-hmm. And maybe understanding of why God put these rules in place in the Old Testament. I mean, you know, if I'm late to work, would I wish that there was no speed limit on the freeway? Absolutely. But that's only for me, and everybody has to get out of my way. But everybody else, I think we would say, hey, wait a minute now. I don't want this crazy fool on the freeway driving 90 miles an hour coming up behind me when I'm trying to do a respectful uh, law-abiding 65, and sans having some kind of a, a, a limit or a guidance there sure. could create absolute havoc. And I, and I guess in a sense, that was God's intent, wasn't it? He wasn't trying to be the big uh, party pooper in the sky and, and you know the killjoy in the sky, but rather saying, hey, by having some limitations here, we can create or preserve order as opposed to complete chaos, as the subtitle of your sermon series suggests. Exactly. The Ten Commandments were given or codified when God delivered Israel out of the hands of Egyptian slavery. They had been acculturated by the Egyptians, and now they were having to learn to walk baby steps morally. And so the first four commandments are about how we relate to God, and the next six are how we relate to one another. And they provide a a structure for us to follow so that there isn't chaos, so that we do respect our neighbor's property. Or if, you know, you shall not covet, we, we won't envy them to the point of depriving them of their livelihoods or, or, or something like that. And it really, if you look at our Western civilization, when it was at its zenith, it was because it followed a Judeo-Christian ethic based upon the Ten Commandments. And would that you would prosper even as your soul prospers. And we need to have that that sense of order in order to establish the environment where that can happen. And I mean, if we look at society around us today, we can certainly say that what's happening here is is not because um, 
perhaps we're enjoying too many freedoms, but that we don't understand what the limitations ought to be. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when you talk, well, you know, First Amendment rights, freedom of speech, I can say what I want, where I want, to whom I want, at any time I want, and yet we say, yes, but getting up and yelling fire in a crowded movie theater is not a good idea because it can have unintended consequences. And I, and I guess in a sense, isn't that kind of the core of what the Lord had in mind when he handed down the Ten Commandments, that he was trying to help us avoid in our in our finite, limited wisdom and perspective um, stumbling in areas that would have unintended consequences. Absolutely. From from the home to honoring our father and mother, even to taking a day to rest and reflect upon God. In those days, they didn't have labor laws. You worked, you know, up until the law was given, people worked seven days a week, and then we take a, we take a day off to rest our bodies. We need rest and to reflect on God's goodness. And these commands were intended to do that. They also, as Paul talks about, are a schoolmaster or a tutor to point us to God because we see how hard it is to do this in our own strength. And it reminds us that we need grace. We need God's grace. We need his enabling grace. Is it hard because that's a um, a spiritual muscle maybe that doesn't get exercised a lot? And I pose that question, Pastor, because sometimes we all know uh, the guy at work or, um, you know, maybe a neighborhood friend who works out and goes to the gym all the time. And, you know, if you need to move a potted plant at home and you think, you know what, I'm going to ch- call Charlie down the street. This will be an easier job for him to handle, at least for us to do it together, than for me to do it by myself. And we recognize, well, it's more difficult for me to do that because I have not worked out my muscles to the degree. And so, therefore, it's more challenging because those muscles haven't been exercised. I wonder if the same thing is true in a spiritual sense, that maybe sometimes we find keeping the Ten Commandments, for example, difficult to do because there are certain spiritual muscles involved that we just don't work out as often as God would have us to. That's exactly right. What they teach us is self-control, self-discipline. Whether you're an Olympic athlete needs self-control, an accountant needs to be able to focus and the Ten Commandments help us to focus on God and our neighbor and not on ourselves. They make us other-oriented, and they, 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 they do help us work out our spiritual muscles as we seek to worship God with our lives. Everything we say, think, and do is worship, and the Ten Commandments reminds us of that. That process of making us other-oriented, does it also help uh, make us him-oriented in, Absolutely, a, in a better fashion? Absolutely, because he's one of the others we're oriented to. You know, Jesus summarized the Law and the Prophets, the Ten Commandments, by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the break in the Ten Commandments. God and our neighbor, not self, other-oriented. This uh, the series you're going to begin at Hillside mm-hmm. starting this Sunday? This Sunday. And uh, that'll run for 10 weeks? Yes, it will. And, of course, you will then follow up, and listeners will be able to catch up with you on the radio broadcast sure. as you as you move along through these series. And, again, I'll mention the program, Grace to Live Radio, is heard every Monday through Friday at 7 p.m., following uh, some old codger or something, I yeah. don't know, <laughs> here on KFAX. And uh, let's talk a bit about Hillside. You've been there in the pulpit as uh, lead pastor for about two years now. A little over two years, yeah. And the uh, congregation has been around for many, many years. Many years over 56 years. So there's a good, long spiritual legacy there. Absolutely. I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. And you're in an area where, wow, strategically, I mean, I I, I bet a lot of pastors, and maybe this is more true outside of the Bay Area, but a lot of pastors would say, gee, if I could have a church 
in the epicenter of technology, cutting-edge innovation, and be able to reach the entire globe and never have to step on an airplane or have a passport punched because it's all right outside my door. That really is where Hillside Church is. It really is. Above us, on a hill above us, we have $3 million homes. Down the street, within a mile or two, we have a neighborhood that used to be plagued by gang activity until we engaged in about 20 years of outreach there and helped them. And then across the street are affordable homes, affordable for San Jose, 900000 to yeah. a million. Yeah. <laughs> and so we really have a little bit of everything. And then here we are where the world has come to us, like you said. You don't need to go to the mission field. We have people from every imaginable place coming here to work in Silicon Valley. We, you know, The area, I think, right now is about 33% uh, Hispanic. It's about 35% Asian, and that includes people from India, China, places like that. Uh, and, of course, there's the you know Caucasians, but it is um, an amazing mix. The neighborhood that I live in is about 60% Indian. And so... The world has come here, and we can make disciples of all nations right here in San Jose. Do we have to adopt some of our approach in terms of cultural understandings? Um, you know, clearly the person who prepares himself to go and uh, uh, minister in the outback in Africa is going to have to learn different things if they're saying, okay, we're taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to Frankfurt, Germany. Clearly there's going to be differences in Absolutely. language and culture and all of that. Absolutely. And I think as Christians in this area with the world coming to us, we certainly don't have time to go to school to learn every culture, but we can learn to slow down and relate to people. You know, Americans tend to be fast-paced. The rest of the world is more relational. And I think if we just stop and pray and observe and learn, we can respond to them and their differences with us as opposed to react. And coming back full circle, we were talking about salvation earlier in our conversation today. Is it also helpful for us to look at this and understand this is more of a process than a singular event? And I ask that question because your church, I mean, obviously with your background, you've got a degree in theology from a master's seminary, John MacArthur School, for, for folks that aren't familiar, you should be. Um, the, 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 the importance of sharing the gospel, critical, the importance of solid theology, critical, and yet to understand that it's not just a one and done, that this is indeed a process, and it can play out in a variety of ways. In some cases, it might be, do you know who Jesus is? And if not, let me tell you who he is, because I have a personal relationship with him. Sometimes in that process, it could be something as simple as, for example, what your church is doing. You've been engaged in providing tutoring mm-hmm. to high school students. Yes to kids that are either disadvantaged or don't have access to to uh, tutoring programs and so you're not able you're you're not only able to do mentoring from an educational standpoint but at the same time be a presence be a witness for the lord be an example introduce them to god by preaching with your life and your lips you know we we want to, jesus said what is it profit that a, that a man gain the whole world and lose his soul we're there for the gospel, but we provide, like you say, uh, uh, tutoring and, and, and math and, and every subject we can. We, and, and we're there, and they see us that we're for real. And the neighborhood has been good to us. We've been there for 20 years, the Farm Drive neighborhood. 
we just received a commendation from the, from the city of San Jose, Mayor Licardo, for the work we've done there. And as the gang influence has, has waned there, as the gospel has gone out, and we're just planting seeds there and, and just trying to show people there is a, a better way and we can help you find Christ. And in the meantime, let us help you make your way in this world. We hear a lot about mentoring these days. Do you, do you see this as maybe... Uh, the the even greater foundation to mentoring, and that is really when we talk about discipleship, oh, yeah. we're we're really saying mentoring is is this is this the key in part to what discipleship um, should look like? I believe so. You mentioned a moment ago it's an incremental process. The days of you know slipping a uh, track through the crack in somebody's windshield, you know, and they're parked in a parking lot and hoping they read it and come to Christ are over. You really you have to get to know people. You have to talk to people. And just as spiritual growth is gradual, the evangelism process is gradual. And it may take weeks, it take, may take months, it may take years. And you have to be there for the long haul. And, and, and in being there for the long haul, being ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within, which is another one of my favorite passages to, to, to uh, remind people of, uh, that really takes us back full circle to where we began our conversation today, and that is in terms of, of understanding who we are in Christ Jesus, mm-hmm. in taking the time to intentionally return to our spiritual roots, to spend that moment. I remember when I, when I first became a believer, this is many years ago, I first got into the Word, and uh, I would fall asleep. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would devour this mm-hmm. at, at such le- – I would say, oh, I just can't put it down. I'm just going to read one more chapter. And I might find myself, you know, after a long period of time falling asleep reading it. Mm-hmm. But there was such an insatiable thirst. Oh, yes. um, and, and I wonder if it wouldn't serve all of us to go back to remember our roots and to go back to sometimes simply pondering the simple things, the things that first made us go, wow – when we were introduced to Christ. I think, I think that's a very good point. We have to rehearse what God has done for us. I look back on my life. I've been a, a Christian, came to Christ right around the time I turned 30. I'm 59 right now. And um, I look back at just when he opened my eyes. My relationship with Christ has helped me make sense of my existence. It helps me interpret my world through the lens of Scripture. I, I can make sense of the... I know who I am, where I came from, and why things are the way things are. And sometimes we forget just to go back, to read the Bible, to pray, and we, we, we become too busy and too distracted. And sometimes the church does that with way, way too many activities instead of just focusing on the one or two needful things. And, and, you know, just to sort of key off as we wrap up our conversation this afternoon on something you just said, if you reach the point in life where nothing seems to make sense anymore and it just all appears to be craziness, whether it's your own personal life or what you see your, 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 your kids going through or what you're watching on the 6 o'clock news, if none of it makes sense anymore, maybe that's the reminder to say, you know what, uh, if you look at it through the lens of the gospel, Mm-hmm. If you look at it through the eyes of Christ, then it will make sense. Absolutely. And if nothing makes any sense, it would probably suggest that's because you've you've taken two steps, too many steps away from that that focal point of Jesus. Absolutely, we lose sight, we drift gradually, and we forget who God is and how God is and all that He's done for us. And that's why we have to. That's why you have a quiet time. It's time alone with God and. It's time to remember who God is and to make time for him. The way he made time for us on the cross, he asked so little of us, and he's done so much for us. And we have to remind ourselves of that. And I think, too, to 
to think of this from the perspective of a child, um, to be childlike in the sense of, uh, and we've all seen this, young children that are discovering something new for the very first mm-hmm. time. I, I happened to watch a YouTube video, for example, the other day of a, a young boy. He couldn't have been more than three years old, and the family pet, the family dog, in snow for the very first time. Mm-hmm. And for me, oh, watching yeah. that from the comfort of my living room chair and just watching this kid and the dog oh, sure. both in utter amazement. The snow was falling and they were running back and forth and everything else. And I think, you know, I I kind of vaguely remember my first trip up to Twain Hart and, and my first opportunity to be in the snow. And, you know, that just reminds me the notion that sometimes I think it's healthy for us to come back and to, to reapply that same sense of wonder mm-hmm. that in, in looking at the gospel um, as a child would in, mm-hmm. in experiencing something for the very first time, to apply that same sense of wonder in a childlike fashion to our relationship with Jesus Christ and to never lose hold of that. Exactly. You know, as human beings, we love to reminisce. When our children were small, when we first met our spouse, whatever it is, we should be reminiscing about when we met Christ and and how he's brought us through so many trials and so many difficulties and he's borne us up on eagle's wings and he's given us peace sometimes in the dark of the night when we thought we were going to go crazy. We need to reminisce. Pastor Keith Crosby, we sure appreciate you dropping by. Always happy to come. Folks are going to say, what's he going to do, leave for an hour and come back? Ah, we'll let you figure that out. It's that magic of radio. The program Grace to Live, Monday through Friday at 7 p.m., just about an hour away here on KFAX. Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Information available on the web, gracetoliveradio.org. That's gracetoliveradio.org. And again, if you're new to the San Francisco Bay Area, want to uh, perhaps explore a, a church home and you live down in the South Bay, want to check out Hillside Church, 545 Hillside Avenue, Hillsdale. I said Hillside, Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose. Information available on the web. We've got Hillside and Hillsdale. How come I've got Hillsdale? Is that right? Hillsdale, Hillsdale Avenue. Avenue. It is Hill Avenue. You got it. You know, I'm Italian. I get confused easily. <laughs> Pastor Crosby, thanks so much for dropping by. Pleasure, Thank you. All right. Great. We're going to take a time out, get you updated on some traffic, some headline news. Back with more. Hour number two will continue to unfold before your shell-like ears right after we get a look at what's going on traffic-wise. Michael Bennett, give us an update. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.